Right, and we have kicked off. It is the Play On podcast at Podcast Play On at Beer Rat Bands, part of the team. Thank you for listening uh, as we take you through the week. Uh, I'm your host, Ben English, and alongside me, as always, is Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. Thank you very much for having me. As always, as always, bro. Uh, loving your different backgrounds on the screen. Um, and we have Ash. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, bro. Hope you're well, hope you're well. And we have... Oh, thank you, thank you. And Cal in the background, as always, Happy New Year, brother. Hope you're well. Happy New Year. I hope you guys are all well too. Good, good, good. And thank you for holding it down while I was off air, uh, out of the scene, doing life stuff in the background. Right. Uh, On today's show, as always, we're going to be reviewing uh, the recent Premier League results over what's been a, a funny week, what with COVID stopping some games. Some interesting results uh, to talk about, some fixtures coming up, and then there's a lot to discuss in general news. Uh, first of all, um, if you've lost someone, I know there's been a few um, deaths in uh, my circle, my friends, a few people who've lost their family members. So if you have lost someone, uh, thoughts and condolences go out to you. Um, I know there's a few people sort of in the, in the media that have passed away. So based based on COVID or sort of other issues. So as always, the lads uh, will give you, you know, their, their, their thoughts on that in a second. But uh, condolences go out if you've lost anyone. And just know to reach out to someone, speak to them, stay safe as it looks like there's, you know, further lockdowns pending. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to build on that. Yeah, definitely, man. RIP to Tommy Doherty. Um, there was a minute silence in the games um, this week. Um, and yeah, there seems to have been like a long list of obituaries this year and just hope that that slows down and everyone starts to feel well. Big time, big time. Yeah. So, you know, as always, stay safe and um, hopefully we can get you through your week if you're commuting or if you're working from home or wherever you've been. And, and, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to everyone. Right. Um, I can't remember if we're going to do the quick... Uh, Corona 11 review or just going to skim past that Ash sorry forgive me yeah no so we said that um, the recently there's been a number of kind of COVID cases that have kind of come back I think the numbers have gone up to one of the highest levels they've had since testing has been done with the likes of Fulham um, Manchester City being adversely affected and having their games to be cancelled um, Man City had two of their first teamers um, Gabriel Jesus and Carl Walker having to um, kind of isolate and follow protocols. Also, I just remembered Gabriel from Arsenal as well. So he was out for three weeks. He's out for three games. And there was also the David Luiz and William having to kind of like remain away from the squad for a couple of days um, leading up to one of the games that we played recently. So it's just been a really hectic time. There's been so many games. Obviously, there's normally like protocols and certain timeframes that are kind of being used. So we just hope that everyone stays safe. We just hope that people continue to kind of be well and we hope that we get past this to a stage where we don't have to worry about kind of like COVID tests and we're back to just playing football and enjoying um, our favourite sport. That's it. Well said. Right. Um, Games that weren't affected and we're going to just obviously discuss about the games that were sort of postponed due to the COVID um, issues. Uh, We'll kickstart with an interesting game up in Merseyside. We had Everton... Uh, losing 1-0 at home to a dogged and well 
drilled West Ham team. Obviously, David Moyes returning uh, to Goodison Park, where he spent so many years there um, building Everton up. Uh, and then that West Ham popped up with a really late winner from Suchek. I had him in my fantasy team. Yeah, yeah. always had to get that in there. And it was it was an interesting game. Uh, I don't know if anyone sort of watched it or want to build on it, but it, it was sort of almost back and forth. No team really offering anything too much. Uh, Calvert-Lewin again, blanking, not really stepping up. Uh, Rodriguez coming off the bench, sort of having been off for injury for a while, looking, you know, a bit of a bright spark. Uh, but then not producing anything. And then a sort of a, a missed shot from um, Cresswell, was it? The West yeah. Ham back. And then Suchet just sort of latching on at the back, poor defending by, by Everton, switching off, and then they've performed a smash and grab. Um, Ash, I know you had Suchet in your team. So sort of your thoughts on, on this game where both teams wanting to position themselves in the in the top four, top six? I, You know what? I Initially, he was my first sub. But I was praying for Burnley and Fulham to be postponed. <laughs> and it happened. So luckily enough, he's going to come into my team once the game week is finished. Um, I think big props to um, to West Ham on this. Um, at the start of the season, they held like some really heavy defeats. Um, David Moyes is under quite a lot of pressure in terms of like very early on. And the fan base has been quite, um, quite strong. We had Paddy on who was a West Ham fan, just when they started to kind of turn it around. And normally what West Ham do is they'll kind of do well for a couple of games and then dip. But they've, been, they've managed to actually just kind of maintain this. And I think a big shout for that is just their defensive solidity. So they've got Kufal and Cresswell. Their two fullbacks are doing really, really well. And that's giving them a really good base. Obviously, Cresswell got the assist, but Kufal was able to kind of stop Richarlison, who I think is actually... Everton's biggest threat. I know Calvert-Lewin scores lots of the goals, but a lot of the a lot of the chaos is caused by Richarlison. So mm. he like he did really well to kind of stop him. It was one of those weird games where if it if it ended at forty five minutes and just like was declared a draw, you would have been all right with it. I didn't really I didn't see a winner, and then when Suchet popped up at the at the back post, it was like that's a very good win, and it's one of those wins that uh, when you like when you nick a one 0 like that it's a great win. It looks like a great tactical display when actually it was a really nothing game, one lapse, and that was enough for them to kind of take the three points. But well done to West Ham to actually sustain their good form because they went away to Southampton and got a point. They've had some really good results against some really tough teams. Yeah, especially with West Ham, sort of uh, Fabianski uh, pulling out injured in the warm-up and I believe it was Randolph filling in. Mm. His kicking wasn't great, but this, this game, this, yeah, this game was crying out for a <laughs> Carlison was crying out for Halle or Ben Rama, sort of, who I'm still sort of waiting to see mm. what, what he does. <laughs> um, he's got potential there, but one of these players produced magic out of thin air. I was really impressed with Bowen, who, who runs and runs and puts in a decent final ball. Antonio sort of back from injury and they were sort of monitoring him, did really well. But this game needed a moment of brilliance. It didn't come. It was a scruffy goal. And I think West Ham fans... Uh, happy with the clean sheet um, and also happy just to get the win, which, uh, you know, has them at 10th. But I think West Ham fans, you know, I'm speaking to family members who are West Ham and they're saying, oh, we're safe, we're safe. So, <laughs> on one eye, this is done, go on holiday. Um, so, welcome to you, Hammers, and um, you know, honourable mention to my family that have already started to get me West Ham baby gear for the for for our child who's sort of not been 
delivered yet. But you know, anyway, the banner the banner ensues. Uh, moving forward, I'm going to hand this over to Ryan. Um, Manchester United pulling off a two-one win. Nothing too spectacular. Another penalty. I think yep. I said where uh, 34 penalties for United since the start of last season. <laughs> we all agree that it wasn't a penalty from, from what I saw from the footage. I think it was Pogba tripping over the back of his leg. But, Ram, what's your thoughts on sort of United grinding out another win? Bruno Fernandes, the man, best, pro- best player in the Prem. Um, yeah, I think that is, it's quite, you're quite safe to say he's the best player in the Prem at the moment and no, not, not, not too many people would argue with you. Um, in regards to the penalty, just quickly, I thought that it was a penalty. It was very soft, but it's, you have to give those ones. Uh, the, the, the player who uh, fouled Pogba bumped into him. It was all coming together with legs. And uh, he made Pogba trip over himself with the contact. So as unfortunate as it was, it, um, yeah, it did allow Man United to kind of get away with grinding out another performance that <laughs> they deserved really. Um, Aston Villa throughout the game look threatening. Jack Grealish whenever he gets on the ball, um, he looks amazing. The way he glides past players, the way he puts the ball on a plate for a lot of the Aston Villa forward men, who just time and time again fail to convert. Um, it's a miracle that he's still there. Uh, and I'd, I'd, I don't know how much longer. Well, no, Aston, I'll say this: Aston Villa done really well to keep him at the club. Mm. And if he's there next year or the year after, I'll be stunned. I'll be absolutely stunned because I could see him going to a number of top clubs around Europe, not just England. I know we love to kind of say, "Oh, is he going to Man City, Liverpool?" But there's clubs in you know Italy and Germany and Spain that he could definitely go and, mm. and, and fit into easily. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a decent performance from both sides. Um, and yeah, Aston Villa will root to that they missed those chances. Mm. Just, can, um, I, can I quickly oh. jump in on one thing? I, yeah. I'm going to say something quite controversial. I don't mm. think Bruno Fernandes is the best player in the Premiership. I think he's the most effective player in the Premiership. And I think, and I think there's a difference between being effective and the best. I think Son is the best player in the Premiership at the moment. But that's mm. that's me being because I think with, with Bruno, I've wa- sometimes I watch him and in ninety minutes he's losing the ball, he's trying flicks that he shouldn't be trying, like he's not doing much. But then what will happen is like he'll get an assist or he'll get a penalty and it kind of stats pads his performance. So like he's having an effect on the game, but he's not the best player in the game sometimes. Whereas someone like Sun, whenever I see him, I'm I'm blown away with how good he is. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I can understand the argument, but if, if we talk about the best player in the league, I know we typically tend to, you know, favour attackers like Holberg ain't putting in a performance in midfield, or Ndombele mm. doesn't lose the ball. Like we've, we've seen great performance from around the pitch, and you've definitely got an argument for Son being up there. Maybe even Kane of the amount of goals and assists mm. that he's had this season. But um, all in all, it was a, it was a, it was a decent performance from both sides, and Aston Villa could have taken it if they had um, more clinical finishes up top. And uh, yeah, yeah, Man United go marching on. And just on Man United, um, I had started to think that, uh, maybe a question for you guys. Are we at that point now where we start crediting Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for his choices or 
are we well like me previously i was like he was he's been bailed out by moments of individual brilliance is he now looking like a decent manager um I think you've got to give the credit to the to him in terms of the manager role and, and, and the word man within that. He's dealing with a lot of egos. Uh, he's dealing with a lot of big names. He's having to rotate and move them around. And the fact that he's got some sort of semi-settled back line. I thought Bailey played, Eric Bailey played brilliantly against Watkins. Excellent. Yeah, all right. Watkins is sort of still developing, but a great player. I mean, he gave Arsenal the run around, but that's not saying much back then. But um, he 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 really helped Maguire there, and Luke Shaw, who's often playing within himself, has got a lot to offer. Um, the fact he's got McTominay playing like mm. you know brilliantly, Fred, he's turned into you know another player and and complementing Pogba there. Um, I mean, Man United is almost like a cheat code. They've got so much money and players mm-hmm. at their disposal. Um, you know, it would be easier to sort of... Uh, yeah, how could you fail almost? But, he, you know, he's, he's doing it. He's been there a while. Um, I like what he's doing uh, with them. And I, although I haven't really noticed anything out of the ordinary sort of patterns of play or anything that they do uh, since he's been there, he's got everyone working together uh, Martial scored finally, um, and seems needs to keep him happy because he can be a bit of a you know, bit of a, a sulky teen at times. So it's just keeping everyone happy, keeping everyone bubbling over. So you know, credit where credits do. You know, we'll just see yeah. if they see if they can do it against the big big boys because with Man United now, I think it's sort of the badge and the name precedes the team where there's a lot of pressure and they mm. go with it themselves. I know you know. So we'll see if they can do it the second half of the season and then also um, in Europe. Just just one quick point on that. I think he's he's corrected a couple of the errors that he made. So I think at one stage he was trying to kind of fit all of his guys into the team and not yeah. think of the balance of the team. Mm. And I think he also had favourites. So for me, Eric Bailly is the best centre-back at United as like just an out-and-out defender. Mm-hmm. But he was playing Lindelof and he's playing Maguire. I think you can play either Maguire or Lindelof, but Bailly should be the mainstay. Now, in the last couple of games, when Bailly's played, they've looked a little bit more assured. I think doing a double pivot of McTominay and Fred to free up Bruno Fernandes made more sense than just leaving it to Matic and hoping that Pogba would help Matic out. Does that make sense? So he's made decisions that are for the best of the team rather than for the, um, for the individual players. And I think... What um, Ben said about the man part of manager is completely on, on point. I think he's corrected some of the mistakes he was initially making. He deserves some credit, but I do think there is still, it's still very much get the individuals to pull us out of a hole rather than that, like really good patterns of play and like a real um, like ethos or a real like, identity to how they play. Nice. Um Moving on, I know we discussed sort of uh, actually thinking Sun at the minute could be uh, best player in the league and our listeners may agree or disagree. Um, Cal, I don't know if you saw this game, Leeds, gun-ho Leeds, um, conceded 30 goals, scored 30 goals, loving the way that they're playing, pressing, running, running, running to the last minute. Everyone seems to like Bielsa. Uh, going to Spurs, um, wasting a lot of early opportunities we all know that Spurs usually like to start off quite quickly uh, and then gifting them 
a number of goals, really. Um, Carden, if you saw it, I want to sort of build on the partnership that Son and Kane are putting together. Yeah, I did start watching it at the first half, but uh, I was obviously cheering for Leeds to win that game, being an Arsenal fan, and also having Bamford and uh, um, Rafinha in my FPL team. And unfortunately, none of my Leeds boys came through, and uh, by half-time, I was just deflated, like, man, forget Leeds, man, they let me down. But... um, yeah, having watched some of the game, you can see that Spurs are, they're, they're looking quite solid. And uh, the thing about Leeds is they play the same way. They attack, they bomb forward. They like It's like systematic. The whole team goes forward. It's not like they just attack with the strikers or they just get the ball wide and attack with the wingers and try and swing it across. Like the whole team kind of moves in these patterns and try to, to, to create overloads and, and score. And Spurs were able to deal with it. They were able to thwart that threat. And when Leeds attack like that, it leaves them vulnerable in the counter-attack. And uh, I think Arsenal fans will remember the way that uh, Spurs counter-attacked us when we were going forward. And they caught us in a counter with uh, Huen Ming Song scoring an absolutely lovely goal in that game. And uh, Harry Kane getting one at the near post as well. And... Um, uh, yeah, it just kind of it just kind of reminded me of the clinical nature and the way that those two combine. They they don't mess around, you know. When they get a chance, they really take it. I thought it was an interesting point that um, Ash raised just now uh, when he was talking with Ryan about Son being better a better player than. Bruno Fernandes. As we know, Fernandes takes a lot of penalties and he gets a lot of stick for taking all of the penalties. But um, when Ash brought that point up, I just had a quick look on the Premier League uh, player comparison website and I found some interesting stats that supports what Ash is saying. Because if you actually have a look at the shooting accuracy, Son has a shooting accuracy of 80.95% and a shooting success percentage of 42.86. So you compare that with Bruno Fernandes' shooting accuracy of 64.71% and his shooting success ratio of 21.57. It looks like Son is definitely, when he gets a chance, he's got a much higher uh, chance of scoring it than Bruno Fernandes does. And... Uh, of course, he scored against Leeds. And I, honestly, I, I think he is definitely one of the best players in the Premier League. Um, the combination with Kane is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we've seen Kane recently. I mean, he's always been able to kind of play passes, but it just seems like now he's getting more into his his number 10 kind of bag, like looking like rolling mm. back the years, looking like a throwback uh, Teddy Sheringham. Um, and and he's absolutely. I think that is absolutely crucial for Spurs. I think the more withdrawn role that Harry Kane has adopted has inspired Spurs to to push on and score more goals because it's kind of unpredictable. You're expecting him to be up top. He probably starts the game up top, and then he drops deep into midfield, and then you got Son bombing in from the wing. So it's like it's kind of creating space and confusing the opposition, and it, and it, and it's really working, man. And I, mm. honestly, I think when we saw. Arsenal playing Lacazette as a number 10, I think that was Arteta being inspired by what Mourinho has been working with, with Harry Kane there and thinking, well, let me see if I try playing one of my strikers in a withdrawal mode. And he's had success with that too. If only Lacazette was half... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Half, half of Harry Kane would be doing right, but he's, he's not even, you know, he's not even fit to the places. But we'll, we'll get there. Um, I was just, I liked Leeds tried to continue to play from the back. They were obviously 
Uh, Mourinho told the lad, the Spurs lads, you know, once the ball goes, once the ball becomes active to press, uh, the Millier back, uh, pass out, which Bergwijn jumped onto, which Bergwijn is slowly going about his job, phenomenal, just sort of running, running, running. Uh, the penalty was on the, you know, could say it was on the edge, on the line, but that, that could have been avoided. And then the set piece that he sort of didn't hold on to, the keeper's got to be upset there. Uh, although he has bailed Leeds out, uh, lots of times, I think Leeds Leeds will be all right. They 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 look dangerous up until sort of the second goal, which is contention for goal of the month. Kane through ball giving Son his hundredth goal as a Spurs player, and then linking yeah. thirteen wow. goals uh, as a as a t- as a as a pairing. And then you know they're in contention of the you know you put them in the conversation of Lampard Drogba partnership. Um, Bergkamp Henry partnership, Sutton and Shearer partnership, and they're putting together now those two, the deadliest one-two you could argue, maybe aside from uh, Mane and Salah as the top two uh, to get Spurs up to the Um Yeah, just 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 quickly on this Leeds and um, Spurs game, um, I well, it's more it's more on on Bielsa. I, I've criticised him before because he seems to get endless credit and he's, you know, constantly celebrated by his peers, which is fair enough. But it's not everyday bomb. <laughs> it's, sometimes you've got to realise that, OK, this team might have a bit too much for us. Let's kind of sit back. Let's kind of wear out the defence. He, it, it, uh, Am I wrong in assuming there's some sort of technical, tactical naivety when it comes to playing certain clubs? Surely you don't bomb forward against a team who is coached by Mourinho like this. A team who's known for countering. Like countering is their thing at the moment. Yeah, it seems I agree. I agree. And the reason why I agree is because I think he gives Calvin Phillips too much work to do by himself. So he mm. plays a four and then he he tells his um fullbacks to bomb on. So that means that's actually that's down to two. Then you have Calvin Phillips as a one holder. And like you said, it's basically three against an attack and that free has to stop the entire attack and it's ridiculous like Klitsch doesn't sit in enough and Rodrigo's really a striker you've got yeah. Rafinha and Harrison who like to play quite high up against their fullbacks it means that there's if any any transition they get ripped to shreds so that's why they'll beat Newcastle 5-2 they'll beat West Brom 5-0 but then they'll hold six at United and three at Tottenham mm. but- I think, yeah, I mean, naivety or just, if, if they'd have put their chances away early, well, like any team, you know, it'd be a co- totally different conversation. If they hadn't got caught short with a pass back, uh, passing out into, into the area, um, out of the area and, and then the corner, then it could be a different game. But he doesn't seem to change it up. And it'll be interesting to see if they could keep this up later on, past February, March, with this running and trying to sort of just bombard teams. So, Interesting point made there by Ryan. Let us know, listeners, your thoughts sort of um, on social media. Um, moving on, we've got another contention for goal of the month, maybe even goal of the season, uh, albeit in the very last minute. Uh, Eze popping up. I really like this player. He's sort of like mm. um, beating Sheffield United, who are... Done out here, you know, this whole <laughs> <laughs> done. We had Hal Stewart on the podcast a while ago, a big Blades fan, yeah. and 
great lad, but we really can't see Sheffield United getting out of this situation. Where are they getting the goals from? They are leaking goals now, whereas before last season they were really tight and, and known for their sort of sturdiness, their steel, if you could say, you know, pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, Palace needing some sort of result and um, popping up, Schlup getting a, getting, a, getting a goal and then Eze, Palace is going about what what we know they can do. And also for those fantasy football heads, they've got uh, Tyreek Mitchell back in the back in the fray. So if you're looking for a cheap defender, get That's him three, in. 3.9 mil. 3.9 mil. Um, I want to, if, unless anyone wants to sort of add to that, I was going to discuss the Brighton Wolves game and then obviously leave the, the West Brom Arsenal game to the end. So um, anyone happy to discuss Palace Sheffield United before we move on? Just a great goal. Uh, I love the finish as well. Just yeah, yes, like, yeah. like, like when you run 60 yards, it's really easy to scuff it or to like try and drive it. The way you passed it in was just classy. And yeah, it was Sheffield United. See, like, see you in two years. Like, if you come back, because you're like, you guys are done. Yeah, and Palace needing that win just to sort of pull away from the the bottom, not the bottom three, but the sort of 15th, 16th, 17th, just hovering around relegation. It's it's really close on both ends of the table, which we can talk about in a moment. Um, the game which produced the most goals, sort of, <laughs> of the weekend, six goals in total. Brighton weren't able to get a home win. Weren't. Well, they weren't doing brilliantly well. Wolves sort of not really found themselves to be in the position they was last season. Obviously, losing Jimenez uh, with that awful clash of heads with David Luiz at the Arsenal game. Three uh, all, and it could have been won by Wolves in the dying seconds. Um, Brighton are a funny team, aren't they? I had them down to, to be relegated. Um, unless they can sort of start producing goals and results, I can't really see them getting out of a difficult situation. Um, Ash, what's your thoughts on sort of Brighton Wolves game? I want them to go down. They're one of the teams that I wouldn't mind seeing go down. Um, I've got them. I've got West Brom and Sheffield United would be my three. Um, but I think the thing about it is they they still have quality. So they've got Moy, who's been out recently, and I felt I always felt that whenever he plays, they're a better team. Gross has been in and out of the team and then they've got Trossard. So they're like the three kind of creative sparks. And then they've got Mope and Webb, um, not Webstar, they've got Welbeck and Connolly. There's and enough, look. yeah, there's, a, they're like, there's enough in the squad for them to do well, but it's just not like, it's not gelling. And remember, they got rid of Potter to play a different type of football. They got after, sorry, they brought in Potter mm. and got rid of Hewton to, to play a more stylish brand of football to kind of be a bit more expressive. They, they play nice stuff, but they don't really do much with it. Sometimes, what's the point of being nice if you're not going to have a purpose to it? I like Potter mm. a lot, but I just feel that they may end up coming up short because, like we've seen, Fulham have been a little bit better. Um, some of the other teams have been a bit better than, than they have been, and they're kind of they're working out, okay, this is what I need to do to kind of stay in this league. Brighton haven't quite worked that out, but they do still have enough quality to turn it around very quickly. They do. They do remind me of Brighton itself, the area. I mean, it is mm. sort of time, Brighton, but they're, they're very nice, easy on the eye, not threatening, very like, oh, <laughs> um, we're all inclusive, which is great. We reckon, you know, we can we, we support everyone here on um, Podcast Play On, but unless they're playing Arsenal and there's a bit of needle, <laughs> really have that in themselves uh, to dig deep and, you know, they play, all, they're a bit of a, meh, team which is you know sorry Brighton fans but um, 
you know, you need to sort of sort yourselves out quickly. Um, I'm surprised they're not, I don't know if they know something up with Lana, but I'd thought they'd maybe have him figuring a bit more with his creative input. Um, I think it's been injuries, though. I think he hasn't been able to string, like, lots of games together and be fit. Yeah. Which and, is just his problem. And Lamptey, obviously, will be yeah. after uh, once he decides to go to a, a bigger club. Um, I'm going to jump to Cal, because I know you watched this. I hope you watched this. Arsenal doing it on a snowy day in the Midlands. Um, we all saw the, the weather report and thought, right, is this game going to get called off? No. Are Arsenal going to be it we hope so and are they going to be able to deal with a West Brom in desperate need for three points uh, Big Sam and his chewing gum we hope you get relegated because yeah. <laughs> because you know sort of trying to ban it with Arsenal saying this is a relegation battle and you know it's all very good on talk sports but you're not on talk sports anymore and they just stuck with Stav and Bilic you know they've got worse since bringing in Big Sam and uh, this game was 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 a joy to watch. Cal, what was your thoughts on Arsenal sort of rolling up their sleeves, long johns and all? We'll talk about long johns in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually thought that was a bit cringe. These guys out here in yoga pants, <laughs> white yoga pants under the shorts. Um, yeah, to be fair, I think it's it's harsh on Big Sam to say that you know he's been worse than Billis. He's only had a couple of games. And uh, and he did get a result against Liverpool, so I think you know maybe he ma- he benefited from that new manager lift that that players normally get. Like you know the new manager comes in, everyone thinks, oh boy, but you know step up my game if I want to be in the team. Manager might not pick me if I don't play well. And they produced the goods against Liverpool. Well done. Can they be consistent though? Because it looks like they can't. When you saw how they got absolutely slapped against Arsenal. I mean, wow, it actually just looked like men against boys. It was looked like a first team against a reserve team. Like Arsenal were cruising through that game. It didn't look like Arsenal were struggling and, and, and you know, really, really playing the best football they possibly could do in order to beat tough opposition. To me, it kind of looked like West Brom just weren't at the races that day. And um, I, I will say, though, that there were some actually really great performances from Arsenal, though. Smith Rowe with another absolutely outstanding performance. Um, at times, I did see, I, I saw, I think, late in the game, maybe like 70, 75th, 80th minute, I saw Lacazette on the edge of his own D putting in a block tackle and stuff. And I'm just thinking, that's what I like to see, you know. You want to see the striker helping the team. Um, that's the kind of thing I used to see Wayne Rooney doing. Like, he's playing up top, but for some reason you see him deep in midfield making tackles and winning possession. Um, so it's great to see that kind of desire and commitment, isn't it? Um, but at the same time, you need someone to actually have the quality to put the other team to the sword when they get an opportunity. And Laka did that in that game. He's, he's, he's a player who has come under fire for his lack of goal scoring, and he's obviously been bought to score goals. That's his job, primarily. Um, but he's doing it now, and he's doing it so well. To be honest, I'm quite happy with Aubameyang not playing for us up up front. Um, we did have Alba playing on the left. He had one or two chances. It could have been different on on another day. We could have scored more goals. Alba could have scored, um, and it would have been an even more embarrassing <coughs> defeat for West Brom. But for me, the standout performance was Emil Smith Rowe. Like his little touches and little flicks, and just. 
the understanding that he has with playing that number 10 role. Not only does he roll up his sleeves and get stuck in and, you know, and track back and do the craft, but he's got the quality, like the little, the little flicks and just, just the weight of pass. Like the way he um, was involved in a couple of the goals, um, the one that Saka scored, that was that was some lovely play. There was, there was the one that uh, Laka scored where he kind of just, he just cushioned it into Laka's path. It was just so like, Nonchalant, like like it, I don't want to get too excited because this is what I do. Like I, I kind of get. We really can hear excited. it. I, I, I want the best for Arsenal's young players, don't I? I always want them to make it and to be top pros and and to play for Arsenal. But Smith Rowe is one Arsenal fans have been excited about for a long time, and he's finally, finally getting his chance in the first team, and uh, it's coming to fruition. I think Arteta will be very happy with Smith Rowe's performance and all the rest of the team, the whole team played well. I don't think there's one player that I thought had a really bad game and shouldn't play in the next game. Before we get Ryan to sort of put the gas out uh, as he likes to uh, distinguish the, uh, <laughs> the Arsenal flame, um, notable mention, and I think you'll all agree, not only Emil Smith Rowe, and it's obviously wasn't rocket science that Arsenal needed to kick up the bum and press him, but massive honourable mention goes to Holding and Mari. Uh, mm. obviously Gabriel having to isolate for sort of uh, socialising on his birthday which is fine David Louise uh, and some other options on the bench but the fact that Mari's come in holding there and they're doing what defenders should do defend they're, I can't count how many headers that they uh, cleared yesterday they weren't trying to be fancy All right, there was one moment late in the game where holding sort of opened up his body and tried to play it across the field and it went off for like a corner or something, which you could sort of think, all right, you need to cut that out of your game and thank God we were 4-0 up, um, Arsenal 4-0 up. So this has to be the front, the, 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 the two defenders moving forward against Palace. Um, they're just defending and Arsenal are just defending. They've finally got Tierney and Bellerin pushing on a bit more. Tierney, you know, captain material, great goal on his, on his other foot. Um, I thought they had both wing-backs on toast the whole game. Saka and Tierney were constantly running at the at the wing-backs. Uh, Lacazette, now they're coming off his knee. That was an ugly sort of goal there. Um, Aubameyang needs a scruffy goal. He had a few chances. He had an early chance where Saka put it in and he sort of just missed it uh, in the first half. And then in the second half, uh, it, he stuck out a foot and it went over the bar. You can see at times he's getting frustrated. He needs a goal. Um, it, it works with him on the left. It doesn't work with Aubameyang up front. He's not good enough up front anymore. He's not fast enough. Um, and we're yeah, not... he's lost pace. He's definitely lost pace. He tried to knock it on against um, the last game, not against West Brom, but there was the game he had prior to this where he faced up Brighton. a player one-on-one, Brighton, and he tried to knock it past and it was like, no, not today, mate. You, you, you know, Dortmund days are over. Um, but what he does on the left in terms of build, building the play with Tierney, coming in on the right, pressing and come, running back. People don't know or, or, or maybe don't give it much acknowledgement to how much defending he does and, and we need to do as a team. And players like Willian, Pepe, you know, their days are numbered in terms of competitive league games where we have to roll up our sleeves and put in a shift. You know, it, it's just not cutting it. Um, Ryan, we'll talk about the Chelsea yeah. Man City game in a moment, but sort of what's your thoughts on, on Arsenal uh, and and this tough away game. Yeah, so Arsenal's, Arsenal's performances of late have been very interesting. Um, I watched the game against Chelsea, 
at Arsenal win three one, and I thought Arsenal Arsenal's goals weren't great. The penalty was, I, I still believe to this day, a joke. Um, the second goal was a well taken free kick by Shaka, and the third goal was fluke, yeah. a, a fluke. And I thought, mm, well, they put themselves in those in those positions anyway. Um, he he put himself in, in in a position to be fouled, and Chelsea really didn't take our chances. I mean, we're missing penalties and shit. It was absolute. It, uh, that I was like, okay, that's that's more Chelsea's Chelsea's fault more than anything, and that's kind of what I kind of come to expect from this Chelsea team. Against Brighton, I thought that if they'd started with Neil Mope, if they'd started with some of their bigger players, they could have taken the game. I feel like against Brighton, they had a bunch of chances that they missed. Mm made mistakes in, in in the final third. But this game was the first game in a long time where I'd seen you guys come out and dominate. Now, I'm not going to do that thing where it's like, oh, it's just West Brom. I, I can't do that because it was a time it was just Wolves, it was just Leeds, it was just, like, we can't... Any, any team can beat any team. So you played the team that was in front of you and you dominated. You dominated with a convincing scoreline, like 4-0. So there's no... Oh, it's just because the other team didn't or messed up. It's because the other team did this, or it's because of a bad call. This is you won this game because of your own quality. There's no excuses to be made for the other side's performance. I thought that you guys are just better in every way, and these younger players who have come in are impressing. Tierney is looking better and better every game he plays. Um, Smith Rowe is the sort of creator. I kind of see the Ramsey quality in him. Yeah. Um, Saka just keeps doing it. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about Saka. And a few, well, Saka especially, because he's still young. He might get burned out. We see it quite frequently from, from young players. Um, and, you know, Martinelli, he's, an, he's, an, he's a, a fantastic player. Your young, your young stars are really stepping up and it's, it's looking really quiet for players like William mm-hmm. and Pepe and Pepe, who I think that at this point it's all safe to say he's a flop, yeah. a major, major disappointment. Um, and to give, give William a three year contract at 32, like so, some, and the Ozil uh, situation, um, some of the decisions that Arsenal have been confusing, but his decision to focus on these young players and actually play them and give them the chance is starting to pay off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all, all the jokes about Arsenal being relegated are well truly over. Yeah, if he continues to play this same same way, hopefully he does. What was pleasing to see that Bellerin came off and then another academy player came on. Uh, Smithrow came off. Sorry, Saka came off, and then we had Willock come on. So it seems like at one point, you know, there was three or four academy players and, and English players, which you know. It sounds crazy we're in the English Premier League, but you, you count how many English players are in any of the top teams um, and it won't, you know, won't always stand out. So the, the behind-the-scenes stuff is, uh, is still worrying, you know, what they're offering to players. Um, so, yeah, we'll move from there. Um, Ryan, what's your thoughts on Chelsea, Man City? Just while I pass it over to you guys, I'll sit here in my door. One sec. I'm going to pass it over to you. Um, Chelsea Man City this is an interesting game um, I don't know where it's going to go um, Man City obviously got players isolating because they breached um, coronavirus COVID-19 rules so I think they're missing Gabriel Jesus and they're missing Kyle Walker um, you can't say he's a, a Brazilian player there Ryan. Same amount of points as well 
26, and their performances haven't been up to scratch. This game can go either way for me. Mm. Um, Chelsea could win 3-1, Man City could win 3-1. Um, I've just got no clue which way it's going to go. How are you feeling? So, obviously, Reese James looks like he might be out for it. That means Aspie could be playing up against Sterling. Um, I think that, for me, is the big battle looking at this game. How do you think he'll fare against Sterling? Um, Aspilicueta has quality and he has a, a great history at the club. So, even though he's lost you know, some pace over the years, because I think he's 32, 33 now, mm. no, 32. Um, if he's smart enough, like we saw with Murta Saka, mm. it's all about your positioning. Maybe don't push on, maybe don't bomb so far up, maybe just drop slightly, maybe Chelsea play someone in front of Azpilicueta who can drop with him to give him a bit more support. Mm. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, come down to a one-on-one. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fine with Reese James being out. As great as, as he has been, um, mm. as Pilaquera is a seasoned vet. Yeah, I get you. And in terms of the composition of the infield, so obviously Havertz has kind of come in. He hasn't really played much. Mount is still very much Lampard's guy. Yeah. How do you think you guys are going to set up in the middle of the park to combat what used to be City's big strength, their midfield? But how do you think you guys will set up? I think we'll see Kovacic with Kante and Mason Mount. Okay. Yeah, those three in the middle. I think that um, obviously Kante can break up, play fantastically, one of the best in the world, arguably the best in the world at doing it. Um, Jorginho's lost a bit of form. He has been playing much for us lately and he... he he, he, we kind of want him to be that Perlo Fabregas kind of role, but he, for me, he's just not not that great at it. Um, and we need energy in that midfield if we're going to be chasing the ball a lot. So, um, yeah, I think we'll see Mount Kovacic and Kante just hold it down with a Pusic to the right. Hopefully, we'll see Giroud up top because uh, mm. he, he does bag goals and he continues to be one of the most disrespected strikers in world football. Um, so hopefully he comes on and he does a job because Man City, we know what they can do. They're going to pass the ball around the midfield. I think Rodri has the most passes in uh, in the last a, in 2020. Yeah, he's a pointless one. No, he's not. He's, he's like he's, he's like he's like Sergio Busquets. He's yeah. Nah, bad. he's nah, he's not. See, this is this this is a big thing. Yeah. So this is where I think Man City have completely flopped because if you notice, I said what used to be their strength since he's gone in there. I think he's doing all of these passes, but they don't have the same purpose. Man City are not the same team they, they were. And I still would prefer even having like Fernandinho in there over Rodri. I think Rodri is just all bluster without anything really like there. Like just a lot of smoke. It's nothing. Uh, I'm going to watch him today because people used to have the same feelings about Casemiro. And people used to have, people used to have the same thoughts and feelings about Modric. So I've, still, I've seen those same points come out. But um, what, I'll, what I'll do, I'll keep especially a good eye on him today and see what he gets up to. But um, I think Matty's biggest issue is the fact they haven't invested in strikers. And I think that Pep will suffer for it. I think he's always suffered for it. Um, and, well, bar um, Bayern Munich, I think that he suffered for it at Barcelona when he was just playing attacking midfielders in the striking role. And when you're up against a big defence, 
who are also fast, your tiki-taka and your run down the wing doesn't really work. Um, sometimes you change up your options. So maybe a long ball up to you know, someone. This is a, Man City is a team who went from, uh, who did they have? Jovetic, um, Bonnie, even though he didn't have the best time. They had Dzeko. Dzeko, Negredo. They had great strikers. And now to just be down to Aguero. Not take anything away from anything away from Aguero. They have Balotelli as well, so these are all strikers they had on their team, and now you're just down to Aguero. And if he's injured, which he may well be, because he's been injured quite a lot, who do you have then? Torres and and Sterling and sort of just yeah, yeah, small little wingy players who aren't going to do much against Zuma if the ball comes in the air. If you can't tiki taki your way through that team, and you have to go long or start crossing it in. You're you're done out. Even Burnley could defend against you. So, um, yeah, they have lost a lot throughout their midfield and they're missing a Yaya Torre, basically, whose influence, I think, is... I think he's their biggest player of the last 10 years. I know people like to say... Agreed. I feel like other people like to say Company or um, Aguero, but... Yeah, or Silva, but... Yaya Torre dragged that team, kicking and screaming, man. He was an absolute monster, and that's what they're missing. They're missing some big guys. Interesting. Um, let's move on to the early kickoff. Newcastle at Leicester. Sorry, I had to go early. I said to, we've got to talk about in the next podcast the aggressiveness of, of certain Amazon and and <laughs> the way they knock it down. I mean, we need to break it down because anyway, um, we got Newcastle Leicester. Obviously, Vardy uh, Vardy party incoming. He was benched the other day uh, with Ian Acho playing in replace of him and, and missing that penalty. Obviously, if Vardy plays, we don't know for sure if he would have scored that penalty, but he would have taken at least one of the chances that were put out in front of Ian Acho. Um, Newcastle needing sort of just to keep things turning over and Leicester looking to go third. I mean, you know, I don't know what to say other than hopefully a Vardy party incoming from a fantasy team. I think... I think Leicester, they've got a decent record away to Newcastle recently. Um, I expect Vardy to score. Um, I reckon they'll win like maybe like 2-1. Um, because Leicester are much better away than they are at home. Like they've, they, they, like they've been to Tottenham. They've beaten us. They've beaten Man City. They, they like being away from home and setting up on the, cou- on the counter-attack. So I think Leicester should win that. Yeah, they need to be consistent. Uh, which they have not been really. And then on Monday, we had a game called off uh, due to the uh, corona uh, issues, which we can talk about in a moment, uh, which was the Burnley-Fulham game, which, I mean, people mainly had down to a Burnley clean sheet if you look to people's fantasy football teams. Um, But again, Fulham needed to pull something out of. But on Monday, Southampton, uh, Liverpool... uh, Mm. You know, Liverpool, last two games, drawing um, after going absolutely mad at Palace. Um, having to dig deeper now to get some results. Teams are just putting up sort of two banks of four against them, just sort of sitting deep, soaking it up, trying to catch them on the counter. Um, maybe Klopp needs to switch it up a bit. But this, this should be an interesting game, especially with Southampton's high line. Hassan Hootl has has done amazingly well. Uh, this season after obviously the thrashing from last year um, Danny Ings is set to return I believe yes uh, and then I don't know who got kicked in the head at the West Ham game was it Shea Adams that, yeah that, Shea Adams yeah held a 
a swift kick to the jaw. Uh, Walcott, a nuisance. Um, it should be an interesting game. I'm looking forward to that one, uh, attacking options there. And, and looking at Thiago returning, he came on uh, with about 15, 20 minutes at West Brom and immediately he was sort of looking to uh, play those sort of Threading passes to the to the front three, he was switching plays. World class player. If they can get him running, then you know the Premier League's in trouble because he is head and shoulders above everyone when he's on his game. Right, moving on. General news uh, it says title race. I want to talk about this. I'm going to pass it over to Ash first, and then and then Ryan and Cal. If you want to add. Uh, sort of views on the teams where they are at the moment. The Premier League is looking interesting. Uh, obviously, two teams on 33 points as of recording, and then we've got a handful of teams on 29, 26, 23. So only like six points really separate uh, the pack. Um, Ash, what's your thoughts on the season so far and the title? So, race? Yeah, so this this came up because there's been a lot of talk. Um, that was pitched at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer based off of Man United's run and the fact that they've kind of closed the gap on Liverpool over the last few weeks. And the question was posed to him, are you guys in the title race? And he kind of shied away from it. Like, he'd done a little Ole smile, um, didn't say too much about it. But it's, it's, a, it's a topic of subject that's just growing and growing and growing. Like, are Man United in the title race? I think when Tottenham were top, everyone's saying, yep, it's Jose Mourinho, They've got Kane, they've got Son. They could win the title. Chelsea, um, with their squad and their options, could they win the title? At the start of the season, I think there were only two teams that anyone would have probably prescribed as being title challengers, being Liverpool, the reigning champions, and Man City, the dominant team in the previous two seasons. But I do think that looking at the league as it stands at the moment, there's a number of teams that could probably make the case that they're in they're in, they're in a race. And I think there is a difference between being in a title race and being a real challenger. So right now, like at the moment, everyone's kind of in this race because it's really like kind of like squished up. But the genuine challengers are probably going to be the three or four teams that have the ability to kind of win six games on the bounce and to do those kinds of things. So I kind of think as things stand with the premiership being so condensed, I think we can say there is title races coming. But I still think the key challengers are Liverpool, Man City. And then I think I would then start putting a second tier of Chelsea, Tottenham and and Man United as the real challengers for the Premier League title. Does that mean Arsenal's in tier four? (laughs) We're in tier eight, bro. (laughs) I mean, just looking at just looking at the fixture. Um, I've gone to sort of fantasy football uh, teams and just looking at the fixture, it's like Liverpool have got a real decent run in uh, once they get past Man United at Old Trafford. Mm. They've got one, two, three, four games, stuff. They're all, uh, which they, they're all winnable. Uh, Spurs have got a favourable run in towards the end. And this is what you're looking at, sort of the last five games. Um, are they able to do it? Man City looking like they could have sort of the, the, the stickiest ones. They've got uh, Chelsea at home, uh, Everton away. Oh no, that, sorry, Everton at home, Brighton and Newcastle away. So there's there's opportunity to to possibly slip up there. Um, and then Leicester, you know, are they able to hold their nerve? Um, they've got Man United away, Chelsea away, Spurs at home. <laughs> so the last 
three or four games. So this is what, you know, are these teams able to hold their nerve, go on these runs? Um, it should be interesting to see. And also tackle Europe and or a cup run. Yeah, I'm looking at City's fixtures. So they've got, after Chelsea, they've got four of their next six at home. And their two away games are West Brom and Burnley. So I expect them to maybe get 16 out of 18 points as, as a minimum. But then Chelsea, sorry, Chelsea play um, City today. But then you've also got Tottenham who face Liverpool very soon. And then they also have Chelsea at home. Um, yeah, I just, I think if City, put, if City can get themselves together and get a, a, a Guerrero firing, I think they've got a real chance, man. But the Liverpool, it's weird because Liverpool, eventually, they've had two really poor results. And as much as they're playing that hard team, they've got United, they've got Tottenham, then they've got Man City, they've got Leicester. Like, we know Salah and Mane, if they get into the groove, it doesn't matter who they're playing. Like, they'll blow any team out of the water. So, yeah, the big, like, the actual big guns who are looking to challenge, mm. it's, 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 it's tasty. It's really tasty. And I don't think we really had a title race with more than two teams for a really long time. Yeah, we had the like, the ding dong between like Liverpool and Man City that year, but the last couple like last year and the year and two years before that, it was literally just the procession. Well, the Leicester season with Leicester Spurs Arsenal, yeah. and and then not since the the golden days of like Man United Arsenal Ferguson Chelsea, thing. Um, yeah Chelsea. Mm. Uh, funny you should mention Chelsea and Ryan. What's your thought? Sort of Chelsea's running towards the end of the season. They've got. Uh, West Ham and Fulham uh, an away game then a home game then they've got City away Arsenal at home Leicester away and Villa away so some about four games or five games quite sticky for Frank's young team yeah um, and I'm not, I'm not really too, too fast about who we're playing um, who we're playing I'm really more concerned about how we're playing we need to get some um Consistency, basically, we we can't go from beating Sevilla four nil to coming back and losing one nil to Everton or one nil to I don't know a, a, a Southampton or a West Brom or a Brighton, which is something that I, I've seen happening again or something I see happening in the future because we're just not taking our chances. Werner's still very much out of odds, and I, I don't really know how these issues are going to be addressed. Um. Yeah, yeah. So who who we're playing is is um is is irrelevant, and I think that um we're gonna need to see something from Chelsea soon if Frank wants to continue on his journey. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna need to see something because it's it's no secret that Chelsea spent money this season. We were banned from spending money last season, and. Uh, I'm not getting into all net spend and getting into putting out the calculator for this chat, but um, yeah, we, we've we definitely spent money, we invested in players, and it's time to start seeing results and start seeing you know, some 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 wins from from that investment. Yeah. Um, we've got the quality to do it, um, but it's just not coming together as quick. And I've had people around me telling me, "Yeah, Chelsea are title contenders," and. This is probably about four or five weeks ago. And I was like, no, we're not. We're nowhere near ready. And I don't think we're going to be ready. Um, yeah, I don't think we're in this title race at all. I think we'll finish maybe fifth. The way we're going. Fifth or sixth. 
Mm. And we would and we would have deserved it as well. Uh, watch this space. Just while you bring it up, I was trying to find the article uh, regarding uh, Karen Carney. Now, as you may know, she was presenting on uh, Amazon Prime uh, for a Leeds game and sort of mentioned that the lockdown in the summer had helped contribute to Leeds winning the championship uh, as it gave players a rest and Bielsa's team were known to be sort of Usually they run and run and run, so the break has, has helped them uh, sort of regalvanise and push on into the Premier League. The Leeds then responded with a cheeky tweet saying, you know, winning the league by 10 points and hi, hi Karen, of which she then received lots of uh, support on one side, saying, you know, Leeds should have known better not to engage in this. Uh, and it opens up a lot of issues with um, sexist tweets and messages and then other people saying well it's just a bit of banner and you know she should be able to to take to take it um she's since deleted her twitter account after receiving an onslaught of sort of horrible messages uh from people which we don't condone um i just wanted to get your your lads views on mm. the whole issue i don't know if anyone wants to take up yeah i think that um yeah, yeah let, me, let me jump in here sorry um, i i think that um Leeds United should have deleted the tweet once they realised the amount of abuse that she was getting. I think that it was allowed to remain online for far too long, and their little cheeky, you know, clapback, if you want to call it that. And I think that her, um, her, her thoughts on it, on on the on the uh, the COVID nineteen break, uh, we saw a lot of team teams kind of fortunes change. We saw Leicester drop off completely. We saw Man United some surge up the up the Premier League. It definitely affected teams differently. And if you think that didn't have an effect on the season as a whole, I think you'd be mistaken. I mean, some people came back from that break and just fell apart. Mm. So for for Leeds, when she's saying that Leeds typically start off well and then kind of end the season poorly, that break kind of gave them gave the club almost a circuit breaker. So they had a, had a chance to come back after three months strong and to maintain that. So her point wasn't ridiculous and. For them to point it out and have a little chuckle, fair enough. They they pundits talk a lot of rubbish all the time. And we've we've named a few we're talking off air. Talk about Michael Owen and Graham Souness, people who've had absolute howlers. Um but to leave the tweet there, regardless of the amount of hate that she's receiving, is ridiculous. And um yeah, I I think that for them right now it's really irresponsible to leave it up. Yeah. I agree, I agree. I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I don't mind it when a club engages in a bit of sort of banter or, or, or you know, they message back. But because she's a woman uh, and she's sort of, she is well respected and she does give good views and opinions. And, you know, she's obviously got the caps to back it up. Uh, but because she's a woman, she is sort of open to more um, scrutiny or people being sort of, horrible sexist comments and I was saying sort of off air to you guys on the WhatsApp like a lot of these men who were messaging her saying these things couldn't even last five minutes on a football pitch with professional women or amateur women you know they're these keyboard warriors who yeah hundreds so you know I'm, I, she, she had a point to some degree uh, Leeds were obviously head and shoulders above teams in the championship 
they've engaged in a bit of banner, but it's been taken too far. And it's a shame that she's then had to uh, turn off her social media apps, you know, and, and then that, that's the problem. Like, everyone's got a voice. Everyone's got an opinion and it's not always, not always warranted. I, I yeah, just want to send a quick shout out to Karen. Cause I think that she's a woman of integrity. She carries herself very well. And every time I watch her, um, I do find that she makes insightful comments and she's, she's generally a good person to be in football and to be listening to. So shout out to Karen and don't worry about them haters, man. You know what I mean? Put your social media back on when you're ready. Do your thing. Mm. Um, talking to social media, uh, Cavani, we spoke about this a, uh, a few episodes back, uh, but Edison Cavani, the Man United and Uruguay player, uh, posted um, sort of a, a message to, uh, was it a, a friend or a colleague and sort of used uh, language that he claimed was a term of endearment, uh, but was seen as uh, inappropriate and racist and obviously upset a lot of people. Uh, and has since received a ban. Um, was it a free match ban? Yeah. And and, and a fine. Um, Ash, what's your thoughts on sort of the, the FA or, you know, collecting it and, and handing this out to him? So when we first found out about the story, I remember bringing it up because I think you can't separate this story from his kind of countryman, Luis Suarez. So... Like, what happened with Suarez using that term directed at um, Patrice Evra resulted in him having, like, a really long ban. And I think sometimes, like, learning kind of what is and what isn't acceptable, he would have seen that. He probably would have spoken to him and he probably would have said to himself, like, right, this is this is mad. He's since come to the Premiership, used that term. I know it's away from the pitch. I know it's a completely different thing, but you, he would have had an awareness of how serious that term would have been. Um so I think the FA had to act. I think they have acted. Um, if you actually look at the suspension, it covers only one Premier League game because they've got the semi-final against Man- Manchester City this week. Then they've got the FA Cup game as well. So he only misses one Premier League game. I think it's. Um, I think he was. I think it's a. It's a punishment that needed to kind of that take place. Um, and I just hope that it does kind of continue to kind of move things on. What was interesting though is they. Um, Another situation that was brought up was the Bernardo Silva situation last year, when he kind of made the joke about um, Mendy and that kind of who he looked like and saying, I think there was a, a character that he said, this is like Bruno, this is um, Bernard Mendy. Um, because that was seen as an, as an internal joke. And I think because Mendy said, um, kind of substantiated that it was a joke between the two, he only got a one match ban. So I think some people thought that maybe you should only get like maybe one or two games. I think three games is about fair, is about right. He'll be back in a week's time, but the message is that this isn't going to be this isn't going to be accepted, and there will be like punishments for it. So I think it's about the right decision. It's also saying as long as the the ban and the fine, which was one hundred thousand pounds, he must complete face to face education program. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good that. Uh, They've acted on it. Um, I like the harsh stance that the, the FA have taken. It's almost like a, a zero tolerance kind yeah. of body because I think it's really harsh. You've got to find like, what, 100 grand? Um, that's nothing though to these players, is it? That's, that's, that's a substantial amount. I remember years ago, there'd been some some racist stuff going on in Spain and the fine was, it wasn't even as much as that for a football club. Like, 
you know? So to, to find a payout, stuff like that, I know it's years later, and you've got to adjust for inflation and stuff when you're talking about money. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think it is a, a serious deterrent to anybody that wants to, that thinks it's okay to, to make racist remarks. Mm. And although in this scenario, I think that an apology would have been suffice. Like he seems genuinely happy. He said that he's got a clean heart and all this kind of stuff, you know. And I do think it is just cultural mm. misunderstanding kind of thing. But for the, the what I really appreciate is this zero tolerance <clears throat> kind of approach to it. And hopefully this kind of thing will eventually just stop happening. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he pleaded guilty and, and, and apologised at the post down. Um, so then I think, you know, like of everything, education is is important. Right, moving on to someone who was facing a ban, a 10-match ban for involvement in uh, betting. Uh, Kieran Trippier, the Atletico Madrid and England fullback, um was recently handed sort of a 10-match uh, ban for, for, for getting involved in sort of betting or, or, or providing information or along those lines. Um, but his team have now, uh, Atletico Madrid have now got involved, uh, ban suspended pending appeal. Um, it basically, he was given a uh, £70,000 fine, uh, has been put on hold. His team, Atletico, got involved saying, you know, this doesn't, this wasn't, with us while he was with us and therefore it shouldn't affect, you know, his, his playing with the club uh, as he got an England call up. So they're, they're getting involved now. So it'd be interesting to see how this develops. Uh, I wonder what information he had here. I don't really know too much on this. I don't know if anyone wants to. Yeah. Talk. So it was really 10 games. It's been suspended while they still investigate it. I think it's to do with his, I think his transfer they think they found like a regular betting patterns linked to his transfer away from Tottenham going to Atletico Madrid. Um, he's saying that he's he's innocent. It's got nothing to do with it. Um, but it's it's weird because when you look at football, betting is everywhere. Like the amount of teams that have sponsors on their shirts, the amount of like billboards that are kind of there. If you're watching it from home, like between every single like break, it's the odds for who's going to get the amount of corners or who's going to score the amount of goals. You see what I'm saying? So when you're around that, it's very kind of, it's crazy to be like so hard on people for betting when all like lots of your money's coming from betting and you're advertising betting as well. It's a, it's a little bit hypocritical as far as I'm concerned. And I actually think that much has been managed. I think there's a lot of people that are in the game that are doing these kinds of things. Um, and I just think that, yeah, like football needs to actually take a look at the influence of betting on the sport in general. Mm. I think it's definitely something that needs to be looked at. Um, but from my experience of working in the gambling industry, I can see that what wh- where this category comes under is uh, insider trading. Mm. And even outside of the gambling industry, like in the financial industry, um, stock markets and, and stuff like this, Insider trading is 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 a, a hot topic, and it's something that you know people can get done for like money laundering and fraud, and and people like companies have whole departments set up like anti money laundering department. I actually applied for a job when I used to work at Labrox. I applied for a job in the anti money laundering department. Like, there's a lot that goes on in that world, and if there's like a market in the bookmakers for you know 
you can bet on who is going to move to another club. Like, is Messi going to go to Manchester City? Is Kieran Trippier going to go to AC Milan or something? And then all of a sudden, there's big money going on Trippier to go to Atletico Madrid before the transfers happen. Like, nothing's happened. He's playing for Tottenham and there's money going on him. At, someone's putting money on William Hill. Someone's putting money on Labrock. Someone's putting money on 888.com. Someone's putting money on Betfair. It's going to arouse suspicion and these anti-money laundering departments are going to start thinking what's going on here. So there, there could be there could be something in that story. Obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of it, but inside the trading, if you have information about something before it happens and you share that information, it's pretty much a criminal offence. You can't do that. So this it's, it's kind of bigger than football. And um, within football, there are obviously going to be certain sanctions in place. I think I've, I've read in that article that someone shared. I think maybe Ashley shared it from the article from The Guardian, maybe. And it was um, it was saying that there's a potential £70,000 fine on the line and like a 10 or 12 game suspension. And obviously, if you're the club manager, you're going to be well upset. Uh, so Diego Simeone is trying to appeal and he's well upset about that. Um, and also, the funny thing is, these sanctions are coming from the English FA, um, who were probably investigating at a time when Kieran Trippier played for Tottenham Hotspur. So they're investigating a player playing within their league. But when the ban kicks in, it won't affect the English national team. So it will be like, Kieran Trippier will be banned for playing for a club that he wasn't with at the time this alleged offence occurred, but it won't affect him being selected for the English national team. Yet it's the English FA that are doing the investigation and handing out the sanctions. So from Diego Simeone's point of view, you're actually handing out sanctions that are going to benefit the English national team. And that's unfair. So I can see exactly why he's complaining about it, whether it's true or not. We'll find out, I suppose. But it's it's an interesting story, and I guess the moral of the story is that if you do have some information about something that is going to happen in the future, or something that you know affects financial markets, you can't you can't share that information with anyone. So you know if you go and tell your brother, and then your brother starts putting money on it, you've done something wrong by telling him, and he's done something wrong by taking advantage of that information and, and betting on it. Yeah, but isn't the case that he has said that he didn't do any of that stuff? I mean, I could slap you in the face and say I didn't slap you. You know, we've got to, we've got to wait for the investigation and everything to happen, I suppose, to see what evidence comes to light and and whether Kieran Trippi has uh, completely uh, been admonished of all allegations, or whether maybe there's there's some truth to it. So I completely hear what you're saying, and I completely agree that it needs to be looked into. But as things stand at the moment, it's kind of like he was given a thing without the full investigation taking place. And that's one of the things that I think Atletico were talking about saying, well, has the, like, the due process been followed? So as long as the process has been followed, if they find him guilty, then he needs to do his time 100%. And be, yeah, that, and then doesn't benefit the FA. Yeah, and but does this miss out all games completely? Right, as we're keeping on the topic of money, big money sound, big money sign-in, team with the most money but maybe not the most sense Paris Saint-Germain have assigned Pochettino uh, to take over from Thomas Tuchel they, they they sat Tuchel sort of just before Christmas I believe which wasn't the best Christmas gift to, to give to the the manager um, who sort of done everything he could do with them uh, getting them to the final of the Champions League but not quite well they say Christmas is the time for giving so they gave him a P45 <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> with, Merry with, Christmas. With Tuchel, you, you, he constantly looks like in a state of shock, like something's happened, so you don't know if he was shocked or it's just his natural face when he had his... <laughs> <laughs> um, this is, a, this is, is this the move that sort of everyone expected for Pochettino? I mean, there was talks about him maybe going to Spain, but he said he wouldn't manage Madrid. Um, the Man United talk was always lingering, but Solskjaer seems to have uh, steadied the ship there. And... Pochettino, can he can he get them to push on there? You know, um, are you unhappy with this Pochettino appointment? Because you kind of led with um, something about PSG not making the best decisions. Do you think it's a bad decision to appoint Pochettino? Um, it's a great decision. I just think it's a great. Decision. I just think they've got so much money and they just throw money at things, and then you know the saying, "More money than sense." You know, and just I like to see teams built be built up. And they're just, just throwing money at the situation. I hope he's successful. Uh, I'd rather see him do it with PSG than Spurs. That's for sure. Um, mm. I think he's a manager. It will be a baptism of fire. I mean, he's gone from uh, Spain and Southampton and Tottenham where the expectation... I mean, Spurs were just happy to be there anywhere. You know, Champions League final, pushing for the league. You know, anything that they got out of it was a bonus. Southampton, he was doing a lot of good work. But PSG now, the expectation is you win everything. Like you're here to win the Champions League. Not everything else is seen as a failure. So um, I love it. I think Poch is a good coach, and um, and this is what he needs. He needs maybe because the, obviously the Premier League is a really demanding league. There's so many top teams to compete against. It's going to be hard to win a trophy. And he didn't manage to cross the line. They got, I think they got to the Champions League final, didn't they? But he didn't manage to cross the line and win a trophy with Spurs. French League, come on. French League with PSG, you are expecting Poch to win trophies now. And that's what he needed. He needed, you know, like a league title, a cup title. Um, and then from there, his career can crack on and he can be looked upon as one of the greatest coaches of the modern era. Um, but without actually having those trophies behind him, he's, you know, his stocks, I think, aren't as high as maybe what they could be. Right. Yeah, this is a strange appointment for me personally. Um, Pochettino, from what I can see, his time at Spurs, he's quite a de- um, developmental manager. He developed that Spurs team into what, he wa- what it was. He didn't really have the big budgets to do whatever he wanted to do. So for him to go into a club where they kind of demand those results and you know they want the big prize, which is Champions League, I don't know if he's the person for this job. I don't. I don't know if he could walk into a, a room with Neymar and Mbappe and command that room. I, I, I don't know if PSG are going to ch- suddenly change their ethos and try and think right. Who can we bring through from the streets of Paris to make into a superstar? How can we build this team around Mbappe like they should do? How do we progress? I, I don't think they want that. I think they want to win the Champions League and. You go to the final. How'd you get on? With yeah, but with arguably, <laughs> with arguably less quality than what PSG have. So they've they've generally got a, a, a manager that can take their team to the Champions League final. But he was also but, but he but he was bombing the Premier League at the same time. He was he had relegation form. So it's it's, it's for me it's not the important the appointment I would have gone for. I think he'll get the respect. Like he's a you know he's 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 played in World Cups himself. Um, all right, he didn't set the world alight with that Argentinian team, but um, I think he, I think he's a good player manager. We'll, we'll, we'll see. There's a lot of egos there. There's a lot of people to to sort of support and massage and trying to find some them French young players. They've got one or two 
young players, I believe, coming through or, the, or they've got there. But I think just making them harder to beat and their mentality, you know, all these teams are much the same once you get to the business end. You're Bayern Munich, you're Liverpool, you're PSG and you're Real Madrid, let's say, the top, top four in the Champions League. Then it's, it's mentality on the day, on the game and your Juventus, you could argue. So, I think... You know what I think... Um, sorry to cut you there. Sorry, I was just going to say, um, you, you know, what I think uh, another important point to consider with this appointment is, is the brand of football. You know, if you're a club like PSG, you want to play free-flowing, attractive, attacking football. And maybe under 2K, it, it wasn't quite going according to plan. Although I did hear that there was some kind of an issue between 2 and um, the sporting director. Um, so that, whether that had an influence on him leaving the club or not, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I do think Poch can play attractive attacking football. We've seen him do that at Spurs. And you just give him Mbappe and, and Di Maria and Neymar. And let's, let's see what he can do. I'm excited. I think it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Be interesting. Who PSG got in the uh, Champions League um, draw? Barcelona. Oh. So, so, for me personally, I think this is, a, this, this is a great appointment. I think it's what Poch needed. I think he hasn't won anything, so he's gonna like win titles. And I think, like, do you remember, like Brendan Rodgers when he didn't win anything, they went to Celtic and kind of came back a better manager because he had like a winning mentality. I think that's what can sometimes happen. He's gonna be working with arguably like put my favorite player at the moment and some like really elite talent. He started to develop elite talent at Tottenham, but now he's gonna be having elite talent across the squad, and we're gonna be able to really see like what he's learned how he is. And I do think he's got something more to him. Tishayao, I liked as a manager and I'll have him at Arsenal, but there's a little bit of backbone that I don't think he's got. Whereas I think Pocha's kind of got a bit of that backbone. And I think it'll be really interesting to see like what happens over the next two years. If he can keep the big players or is Mbappe going to go? Is Neymar going to go? And I think a couple of episodes, we spoke about the fi- the financial um, issue in France to do with the, the TV rights that could be another thing that he needs to contend against that maybe like the players that he wants to keep aren't going to stay that much longer because the money's not going to be there as much. But I think it's a great signing for PSG. I think it's great for Pochettino. And I'm kind of happy he's not in the league because if he went to Man United, I'd have even more faith that Man United would be, would be a stronger team with him as a manager mm-hmm. than they do with Oli. That was a great point you made there about the TV rights deal as well, Ash, because it, it's possible that influenced his appointment in the first place as well. Maybe they would have they could have gone for uh, a bigger name manager, maybe like mm-hmm. a, um, oh, I've forgotten the guy's name. You know, the ex-Juventus guy, Allegri. Allegri. But maybe they're looking at their financial situation and thinking we need to spend less money mm-hmm. on, a, on a manager. Be interesting to see. There's a lot of pressure that comes and um, Barcelona, cause they could, you know, although it isn't his team, so we could argue, you know, he's inheriting this team, but an embarrassment of riches and... Uh, you know, all to play for. Um, I'm happy to wrap it up. I don't know if there's any other notes you want to add on. I'm just conscious of time. Um, no. Nothing else to add on. I just I just think I'm just really excited about Arsenal. And uh, I know Ash says we're in tier eight, but I'm dreaming. <laughs> and I wonder if we can keep this form going. Don't can do it, we push up? It's not mathematically impossible. This is Arsenal. one of the issues that Arsenal have had over the it's years, not, man. Don't do this. It's the hope that kills impossible. you. It's not mathematically impossible. But that's not what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is can we qualify for Europe? Can we get in there? 
yeah. When they, oh, yeah, of course. They win Europa, Europa, Three points behind Chelsea. Three points behind Chelsea and sixth. That's what I'm saying. Well, we're also three points behind Man City and Southampton and five other teams. Mm. It's, highlighting Chelsea is irrelevant. Big you guys to keep on churning out your results. That's what you do need to do. Big game for Chelsea today. Big game for Chelsea today. Fat Frank to turn it around and those big fat memes of him asking for another 200 million to stop. Um, should be interesting. Right. Um, thank you. for. I'm going to blow the, the full-time whistle there. Thank you for listening. Um, like we said, hit us up at Podcast Play On at Beer at Bants. Always a big thank you for Ryan from Don't Be a Dick Podcast. Make sure you check him out. Catch you later, guys. Thanks for having me. And big up Ash and the Sunday League team. And how are they all getting on? Give them a shout, Ash. Yeah, big up Apple Echo Trotters. There's been no games. Um, I got a message from my old Saturday team saying that they're going to do a charity game as well. So I'm still getting a call at 35. <laughs> let us a good little look we'll come down and uh, support yeah no nah, we'll do but yeah just a shout out to everyone happy new year everyone I really hope 2021 is better than any addition has come before it um, protect your mental health protect your physical health and yeah just look for the good in people protect your neck like Wu-Tang said Cal um, thank you as always providing the notes the links the audio the everything the just Every, everything to every every person. Thank you. Big up, big up, everyone. And um, honourable mention, RIP to people that have passed, uh, friends and family members or people in the, the football uh, world, the music world. Um, Happy New Year. And, you know, hope, uh, hope, this helps you, hope this helps you through your week. Thank you for listening. Peace.